Welcome to the podcast program, Beyond Clinical Medicine, What They Don't Teach You in Residency. I'm Rob Strauss, Team Health's Chief Medical Training Officer, and this podcast is one of our series discussing patient safety. All of us in our careers make mistakes, wrong dose, wrong patient, wrong documentation, wrong behavior. With each, there is real potential for harm, and yet for a variety of reasons, these may not come to light, eliminating the possibility of learning or subsequent improvement. Today, we're going to hear about a mistake that is changing medicine. Our host today is my friend and colleague, Dr. Heather Owen. She's the Chief Clinical Officer of Emergency Medicine for Team Health, as well as the Director of its Patient Safety Organization. Apropos for today's discussion, Heather's a fantastic podcast host, and I learn from her every time. Heather, thank you. Thank you, Dr. Strauss, so much. And thank you for allowing us to join you here today and dive into a topic that, of course, is very important to me, and, and that's patient safety. While we all aspire to take excellent care of our patients, and you know, part of that commitment is actively working to keep them safe. As we manage our patients daily, we must constantly ask, are we keeping our patients safe and free from medical error? And we highlight that this week, which is Patient Safety Awareness Week. We're going to spend some time today um, chatting with one of our very own. We are honored today to visit with one of our team health physicians who has really embraced this commitment to, to take um, the time to keep our patients safe. So I'm going to introduce you to Peter Antebi. He's a pediatric emergency medicine physician who practices at Joe DiMaggio Children's Hospital. It's a level one trauma and tertiary care center in South Florida, and he is board certified in pediatrics, emergency medicine, and the complex subspecialty of EMS. He's also the founder and chief medical officer of Hantebi. It's a pediatric emergency standards incorporated, and he's the recipient of so many regional, national, and international honors and awards. I could go on and list each of his accolades, but it would take us all day uh, to fit them all in. So instead, I will just say um, hello, Dr. Antetti, and what an honor it is to have this time with you today. Thank you so much for being here with us. Dr. Owen, it's a great pleasure. I'm so grateful to be here talking on a topic that's very important to both you and to me as well. Thanks. Oh, our pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you for being with us and giving us some of your time. We, um, as you and I have chatted in the past, um, I couldn't help but think we all have cases that we just dread. You know, that case you hope never comes through your doors. And for some of it, it's pediatric epiglottitis. For others, it's, you know, the crashing, massive GI bleed, the severe angioedema. We all have them, right? And um, as you as you and I were chatting, you shared a case with me um, that really changed the trajectory of your career. And I, I'd love for you to share that with us. Tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, Dr. Owen, uh, it was in 2005 and I'm a brand new physician, and, you know, now the attending uh, here at Joe DiMaggio Children's Hospital, which is in South Florida, as you mentioned. And I had just come from, you know, two of the top 10 children's hospitals in the country supposed to be super duper trained. I was ready to kind of um, be the person in charge and, and help to treat patients. But in 2005, when I first got there, a nurse comes running out of room number four, I'll never forget, I'll never forget her name and how she looked. And she said, there's a girl in there with severe anaphylaxis, you gotta get in right away. And uh, I went in there, I knew what was going on and I thought I knew what to do. And when it came time to 
providing the correct medication and dose of that medication, I ended up giving a tenfold medication overdose. And that medication was Epi 1 to 1000. And instead of giving 0.21 mLs, I gave 2.1 mLs. Now, interestingly, her hives went away, her wheezing improved, but her heart rate went through the roof. She, her, her blood pressure was extremely high. And the mother kept asking me, what is going on with my kid here? Why is her heart rate so high? Why does this thing keep alarming? Why do the nurses keep coming and asking about this? The vital signs are not good. And I kept trying to say, this is just how it is. It's the medication we gave. Now, remember, I had no idea that I had just given this, this overdose. Um, thankfully, she, she did okay, but we had to admit her. She had to spend the night in the hospital. Uh, now, she may have had to spend the night anyway, but, but probably not. It was because of the vital sign abnormalities that we kept her. And what was the interesting part about it is that I just thought that that was just bad anaphylaxis. And I ended up five years later in 2010, I became the medical director for an EMS system, Davy Fire Rescue. And as the medical director, I was now getting calls from, you know, we service nine different hospitals. I'm getting calls from nurses who all know me that calling me up and saying, your folks are giving overdoses, significant overdoses of medication. And I said, how could that be? And lo and behold, when I went back and looked at, at the Braslow tape, which is you know the tape that I had used to point to the nurse, I said, Epi 1 to 1,000, 2.1 mLs. Well, it turned out the mistake that I had made, it's not that the tape was wrong, it's that that dose for anaphylaxis doesn't exist, but the Epi 1 to 1,000 dose is under resuscitation through the ET tube. So it's a cardiac arrest drug. I had used the dose for the wrong indication. So here I am now responsible for you know, hundreds of paramedics at that point in time, and they're making mistakes on epinephrine, fentanyl, midazolam. And when I went back to look at the documentation, just like my documentation was documented correctly because you know we had we have Epic and we just click on the right dose and it populates, I had started to recognize that other people were making the same mistake. And I would come to work, Dr. Owen, and I started to become very anxious. And uh, people who know me know that I love resuscitation. I'm always the first guy in the room. The sicker the kid, uh, the more I wanted to be the one in charge and, and leading the code. But I started to have issues because unlike where I trained, now where I was working, when the, the sick kids or, or kids in cardiac arrest would come in, they would look at me and they would start to say, what dose? What do you want to give? And um, I, I say this half jokingly, but our hospital had taken the Braslow tape and it encased it in wood so nobody would steal it. So um, also in the first six months of, uh, of, uh, of my work in the Joe DiMaggio, which was also 2005, I had a, a, a SIDS, back when we called it SIDS kid, come in seven o'clock in the morning and a nurse took that big mounted lane-based tape and handed it to me in front of the mom and dad. So I'm standing literally at the head of the bed with like a six foot piece of wood. And that was the moment that I knew that I was in trouble. And I said to myself, what am I gonna do here? So I called up my mentor 
Bob Hickey, who's out of Pittsburgh. And Bob is, if you look at the people who wrote Pals, Robert Hickey is the number two guy. And I said, Bob, I'm having a lot of trouble. I just left Pittsburgh and I need help. And he said, well, Pete, just do what we did in Pittsburgh, which was we just used the age. And I said, well, that's interesting because that's not really in the guidelines to do that. So lo and behold, I, I came into work one Sunday morning. I took out a blank piece of paper and I wrote down five ages, one, three, five, seven, and nine. I figured out the weight in kilograms, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30. And I wrote the cardiac arrest drugs that I may need, but as a volume, right? So I did all the math. I wrote the MLs in each of those columns and it hit me. I said, oh my God, I can do this without doing any math. It's just kind of moving a decimal here, a decimal there. And in an instant, that aha moment was right there. But it's, it's interesting, you'll, you'll like to know this, that I was so embarrassed that I, Peter Antevi, who came from these big hospitals, had to learn a little trick that I didn't tell anyone that I was doing it. But the nurses knew right away because that next code, I would come in and I would say, this much epi, atropine, back when we used atropine, that's how old I am. Uh, we are giving bicarb. So I was just rattling off doses. And one of the nurses came to me and said, Pete, I don't know what's happened to you, but you've gotten a lot better lately. I said, well, that's just, you know, I guess it's just more practice. Not telling her what the real story was. Um, about two years after this little trick had been developed, she said to me, do me a favor. You're giving a talk next week on drowning here at the hospital. Teach people that little trick. I said, fine. And I, I got up on stage. I gave a you know, one-hour talk, and I left about five minutes at the end to teach this one, three, five, seven, nine. And the whole audience kind of went with me. And I, I taught them this little trick. And there were 200 people in the audience. 50 of them stood up after that talk. And I said, why? That was a, must have been a great talk. And they said, no, no, we just want those last two slides. And, and that's when I came home and I told my wife, I said, um, I, I, I feel like it's not just me. I'm not the only person in the world with this problem. And so long story short, I ended up making a little badge buddy. Went to Kinko's. We laminated it, and then I, I came to work the next day with the badge buddy, and um, people are saying, hey, can I get one of those? So come back home to my wife, and I say, we got to print up a bunch of these, and I would bring 10, 20 to work. They were all gone, that shift. People were coming up from the OR, anesthesia, and then I started getting calls from people in Florida, out of Florida. Hey, we heard you're giving this talk. Can you give this talk here? And, and you know... Over time, I ended up giving away tens of thousands of these badge buddies, just going around the country. You know, I love to teach. And, um, and then I became a medical director, as I said, in 2010. And the fire department said, hey, there's about six drugs on that card, but we had like 35 in, our, in the back of our ambulance. I said, okay. Went back to the computer and I made a page for every age. So I went from preemie all the way to 13 year old and then I did adults too. And next thing you know, I'm getting calls from different fire departments uh, without any intention of starting a business. Um, suddenly I realized that people were asking me to sell them a version of that book for their particular fire department. Um, fast forward several years, we started getting a bunch of people who were get, coming on board. We created an educational platform 
And then we created an application after many people said we need an app once it started to become popular. And then we ended up creating this app that was highly customized, meaning that it had the exact doses for Davie Fire Rescue, Coral Springs Fire Rescue, Palm Beach County, San Antonio, Dallas. I mean, it just it just went across the board. Um, and then we figured out a way to integrate all that dosing. It would shoot right into the um, electronic health record for that paramedic or that fire department. Um, my wife is our CEO. She's incredible. She's putting this incredible team together. And, um, you know, here we are in, in March of, of 2022. And now we have two states that have adopted our system entirely. So we've had Utah first and then the state of Virginia. And we're going to be announcing two other states shortly. I can't mention them just yet. And we have two states who want to come on board now. And so we're almost at 2,000 cities across the country. We have thousands of uses of the app every single day on real patients. Um, and it's just, I'm, I'm at a point now where um, I just feel like I've been very blessed and honored to go around the country, which I still travel a lot, and hear stories of people who are staying on scene, treating kids with medications that are correct, that are accurate, where they find them. They're stopping seizures in the living room instead of just getting to the hospital. They're performing cardiac arrest at the poolside. And agencies who have adopted the system have really um, shown, and there's been several peer review publications that have come out in resuscitation and pre-hospital emergency care, showing not just the increased safety uh, by using our software and our system, but also that there's many more kids that have come back to life. And um, one particular county is Polk County who published their, their findings. In 2012 and 2013, they had 38 children go into cardiac arrest Two had ROSC or they had pulses, but none of them survived. So in 2014, they adopted our system. And in 2014 and 15, 13 children left the hospital with a CPC one or two, perfectly neurologically intact. And then in the following two years, 17 children came back to life with a CPC one or two. And if you look at their numbers since then, the numbers are somewhere in the 30 to 35% range, which is really significantly higher than has ever been reported in the literature. So I feel very humbled. I feel very privileged to um, you know, help others because I, for one, needed to help myself. And you know, I will tell you this, Dr. Owen, that that's something that's been very therapeutic for me because like many of the people listening today, I, I have a lot of those demons in my head where um, there, there have been a number of cases where um, either I didn't make the right decision or I didn't ask for the drug in time because I didn't know how to mix it. Uh, there was one, one particular case where a kid needed a norepi drip and I didn't know the dose offhand. The parents were right next to me in the room. So I ended up having, I, I probably wasted 15 to 20 minutes until I went outside the room, got the pharmacist involved. And by the time the drug came down to the emergency department, we were already upstairs in the ICU with the patient. And the, and the ICU doctor me, doc looked at me and just said, Pete, just get out of here. Right. So I, have, I, I mean, I, I have so many stories, unfortunately, that now I go tell people around the country that um, it's not you, but perhaps it's the system. And perhaps we can create a system 
that doesn't lean on one person to have to know everything, including complex math, while the child is dying in front of you, while you're trying to innovate, while mom and dad are looking at every move that you make, hoping that you can save their child. So um, just been privileged to be in that in that situation. Absolutely phenomenal to hear you tell that. And it's just as exciting to hear this time as it was the first time I heard it. But it is absolutely amazing. And I think if we were to all look at that list, um, I think a pediatric code tops that list for so many of us. And especially those that do primarily adult emergency medicine. I'm not I'm not familiar with those doses. And I, I do maintain my pals for that reason because I want to be tested and I want to be reminded. But at the same time, a pediatric code for me is high risk, low frequency situation. Mm-hmm. And when that when that patient rolls in, we all, you know, kind of feel that that visceral response, right? I mean, we all feel it. And um and I can't think of anything better than a tool that would allow me to feel like I'm better able to care for them. Your outcome, you know, your outcomes are are proven and phenomenal to hear about. I am I'm dying to hear what the other two states are. You say Utah and Virginia already. I hope one of those other states is Texas because um, I'd love to see this implemented and really impacting um, the children in our state and our communities as well. But it is um, it is phenomenal to hear your story. I am I am proud to know you and so proud of the work that you have done and and love to hear you kind of tell it. I um, I think one of the most interesting things that you share is kind of the widespread interest and kind of unexpected success. And I think that you're absolutely right when you say um, it's not just you, right? It's not just you. And, and you're right. One person can't possibly know all of those things. And especially as they change and they evolve, it's, it's silly for us to think that we're going to be able to know all that. Um, but to have the have access to the tools you need when you need them is really um, where we find our greatest value for sure. Yeah. I, I thank yeah. you so much for sharing. I did want to ask, um, you know, what's, what's your long-term goal? Where do you see this going and what do you look, you know, I mean, obviously this is a significant passion for you and you've impacted so many already, but what are, what are some long-term term goals for you and for Hand Heavy also? I really appreciate that. I think for me, the long-term goals have have become more clear uh, now that we've been doing this for uh, 12 years. And what I mean by that is, is that I recognize that once people have overcome the math problem and they're able to bring their heart rate down during a code, all of a sudden there can they, they can focus on the people who matter. And the people who matter in this particular case is the family. So whether you're on scene as a paramedic or you're a nurse in the emergency department or the physician running the code, it turns out that the stress of the math and knowing the dose and all these things don't allow you to actually do what we need to be doing, which is be human and talk to people. And my my ultimate long-term goal is to allow the physician, the nurse, the paramedic, to actually be human towards that family member because it turns out when you talk to family members, and I've spoken to a lot of them after they lose a child, they all remember those critical minutes before they got to the hospital, so at the poolside, they all remember very vividly what happened in the emergency department. And what we've realized that 
what's happened after we rolled out this system and so many people have called us and told us this and they said i'm able to talk to the family member and i'm able to hold their hand give them a hug look them in the eyes tell them what we did tell them how well we treated their child so that their their child didn't die in vain and you know families go home after the death of a child and families get divorced there's alcoholism there was one child, um, I'll never forget this. It was a, a father had rolled over on his son. Um, the kid was six months old. He put him in his bed. Um, and they came into the emergency department. We, we coded the kid. Unfortunately, it was unsuccessful. But the 12-year-old daughter was watching the whole thing. She was my patient four years later when she cut her wrists. Four years later, because nobody addressed what happens to the family after this happens. And so what I'm trying to do now, and I'm trying to, you know, this is maybe a moonshot type of thing, is to try and connect the healthcare provider to the family early on, and then create a pathway for families to heal over that coming year um, effectively, and by bringing in family members and friends who know how to help them heal because there's 20,000 kids who go into cardiac arrest every year. And if you think of the collateral damage that happens after that, uh, that just to me seems unbearable. So, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm very clear what, what my mission is. And um, I wake up every day with a very clear mission in my head and try to help as many people as possible. And again, I, I just feel privileged to be doing so. So again, th thank you so much for having me today, Dr. Owen. Yeah, absolutely. And that is phenomenal to hear. You know, you're you're really right. There's so much that happens beyond um, just our encounter. So it's um, amazing to see you stepping outside of just that emergency medicine role and really trying to impact um, the long-term success and viability of those families. So um, thank you for sharing. We um, we value your time. We, um, it's been absolutely our pleasure to host you here um, with us today. Any final thoughts you'd like to leave with our listeners? Uh, yeah, I would like to tell people that if, if you see something in healthcare that, that you know is wrong and you want to fix it, then I think it's it's your duty to at least give it a try, right? And the one thing that I will say is, is that healthcare is tough because a lot of people have been doing the same thing for such a long time. I mean, now 12 years later, our company's doing really well and we're in a lot of cities, but there was a good six or seven year period Dr. Owen, where I was on an island and people tell me you're wrong. There's no way you're going to change the system. But if you really truly believe in something and there's, there are people out there who know the truth, uh, I would encourage all those people to go for it and, and change the system for the better, even if the world seems to be telling you the opposite. And in, in fact, if people are telling you you're wrong, you're probably onto a good idea. So that's that's what I would leave people with. A fantastic message, and and we know that when people step outside of their everyday job, they get longer longevity in their career and more job satisfaction as well. So there's huge impacts not only to those you're you're affecting, um, but your own personal well-being as well. So thank you so much, um, Peter and Tevi. Such a delight to have you today. Thank you so much for the work that you're doing on behalf of all of our patients, and um, and I bet you're going to have some interest um, sparked here um, because I think we can all see great value you and the work that you're doing. So thank you very much. Um, our pleasure to have you and um, you take care. Thanks, Dr. Owen. I appreciate it. Well, that was fantastic. Heather, thank you. And Dr. Antivy, you've shared a story of how a mistake 
can change medicine and save many lives. For you listening, I hope you've been as inspired as I have by this Beyond Clinical Medicine podcast. If you have any questions about this topic or suggestions for other topics, please contact me at beyondclinicalmedicine.org. Thank you.